Hey there, McPherson here from It Begins to Move. This is the last episode in a series of four about befriending yourself. Today, I'll continue talking about friendliness and the very important role that it serves in healing, feeling calm and regulated. In the first episode on friendly regard, I discussed how the word friend is in part based on the word regard, which means to take notice of. So if true friend is actively taking notice of your needs, um, so that they can learn about the unique things that make you you, because you're probably different from them in some way. In the second episode, I discussed how important it is for people with different needs and preferences to make enough space for each other's differing needs and different perspectives with curiosity, respect, and engagement, and without dominating or acquiescing. And then in the previous episode, I talked about how when you're struggling or experiencing emotional pain, friendly empathy can be the most helpful thing for that tough time. In this episode, I'll talk about why that is and what modern neuroscience has demonstrated occurs in your brain and in your body when you receive friendly regard, validation, affirmation, and enough room and space for your experience, just as all those things are unfolding in the moment. According to modern psychology in the second half of the last century, there's a process by which humans learn how to feel safe, resilient, self-confident, and self-determined. And just to be very clear, self-confidence is the feeling of, I trust myself to be able to figure it out. And self-determination is the feeling of, um, I know that I have the power to make choices about what happens to me. And resilience is the feeling of, even though it's hard uh, and it might not work out, I'm going to be okay in the end. These qualities are actually all relational. And therefore, the process of learning them is also relational. And so what I mean by relational is that the feelings of safety, self-confidence, self-determination, and resilience are all feelings that you have in relation to other people in the modern populated world. According to attachment theory, the foundation for these feelings is laid by the time you're very, very, very young, by two to four years old. So the theory is actually very complex, but in short, the theory says if you're raised by at least one regulated person who is able to predictably meet both your physical and emotional needs, so predictably feed and change you, predictably soothe and comfort you, consistently be around you, then it's likely that you developed the capacity and even the feelings of safety, self-confidence, self-determination, and resilience. However, if your care in early childhood was not consistent, and there's actually a few different ways that this could have looked, then your ability to develop this great and steady sense of self and, and self-worth was likely compromised. And as a result, you might have a propensity for anxiety and fear or depression and sadness, low self-esteem, um, self-sabotage, relationship struggles, or perhaps more serious and debilitating states of being. Attachment theory has been well studied, and in the, bar, in the majority of the last century, the studies have been behavioral, meaning that there's a great and solid evidence 
um, that was gathered using the scientific method through observation of how people were behaving and interacting with each other. However, at the very end of the last century, um, brain imaging technology developed and began to be utilized in these fields, studying how brain, body, and behavior interact with and influence each other. So essentially, attachment theory and the attachment process generally states that if there's at least one regulated, self-determined adult who consistently and predictably meets the needs of a young child, that child will likely grow up feeling safe, secure, self-confident, self-determined, and resilient to adversity. Right? So attachment theory ultimately asserts the importance of attunement. If the adult could be attuned to the child, then the child experiences the attunement and then gets all these great things really strong sense of self. Behavioral neuroscientist Dan Siegel, who's written some incredible books, by the way, like Mindsight and The Whole Brain Child, defines attunement as our ability to alter our own internal state to reflect the internal state of another person. So attunement, friendliness, and empathy, they really go hand in hand together. Dan Siegel says that attunement is at the heart of feeling felt, which by the way, I think is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Attunement is the process by which someone can really see, even feel another person's experience. And then empathy and friendliness are, are the behaviors that result from being able to really get where someone else is coming from. If you like, you might take a moment to recall a time when someone else really got you. When you really felt like they were taking the time to understand your experience from your perspective and without trying to convince you that you should feel any other way. I mean, pause this podcast and take a moment to recall that time and notice how your body responds to recalling that interaction, if you'd like. But here's the deal. Neuroscience has demonstrated that there's something that happens When your pain, your struggle is really attuned to by another person, it demonstrates and it proves that there's something that happens inside when that external behavioral process is occurring. Your brain and your body chemistry look a certain way when you're under stress, which is basically the scientific term that encompasses any and all kinds of struggle, emotional pain, or state of overwhelm. But when that same brain and body that's under any kind of stress receives attunement and friendly empathy, it changes. It becomes, in quantitative scientific measures, less stressed. This is what Dan Siegel calls interpersonal neurobiology. The way that we interact with others has the power to change their brain and their body. Moreover, the the groundbreaking work of another behavioral neuroscientist, Stephen Porges, says a similar thing. In the polyvagal theory, which is another complex theory, but put very simply, Porges says that when someone else feels safe, their neurobiology changes, and then their behavior changes. I've heard Stephen Porges say behavior actually follows from physiology. Behavior follows from physiology. We often think about it as the other way around. So that if if someone who was feeling emotional pain was able to feel attuned to and affirmed with friendly empathy, their brain and their body response changes. And then they're able to feel and act with less emotional pain. 
of course, the big name in the neuroscience of trauma realm is Bessel van der Kolk. And his book, The Body Keeps the Score, does an incredible job of describing that the, the specific neuroscientific research his lab has done that really backs up all these other researchers and backs up the biological process of attachment and attunement. Most of the neuroscientists that I've mentioned thus far have been men, but there's a woman neuroscientist whose research adds a whole other layer of confirmation to attachment theory and attachment process. Lisa Feldman Barrett, who I first heard about through another trauma coach, Deirdre Fay, has written a, to me, mind-blowing book called How Emotions Are Made, in which she demonstrates that her research proves certain emotions are not protocol responses to certain kinds of stimuli. So instead, Lisa Feldman Barrett says that though all emotions are, are universal, right? We all know what fear feels like, we all know what anger feels like, etc. That the things that make one particular emotion well up inside of us instead of any other emotion, it's, it's actually a truly unique process and that it's based on our past experiences. So for example, one person might feel anger in response to an injustice, while another person might feel fear. Fear and anger are both unique responses to the same stimuli. So Barrett's research is incredible in and of itself, but it also further highlights the importance of attunement and empathy and friendliness, that it's not appropriate to assume that the way you would respond to something is the way that anyone else would, but instead, so critical to pay attention, to befriend, and to get to know what someone else's experience actually is instead of assuming that you know what somebody else must be going through. It's okay to be wrong. Attunement, attachment building, empathy, and friendliness, they all allow for mistakes. In fact, the only way to get it wrong, so to speak, is to assume, to dominate, to not make room, to invalidate, and so on. Great, deep, and meaningful relationships require this kind of relating from us towards others. And we also deserve this kind of treatment from others. And we also deserve this kind of relating to our own selves, to our own tender, full, gritty, wonderful, and strong hearts. Perhaps if it feels okay to do so, Take a moment to notice what body sensations come in your own body when I suggest that you deserve to have all parts of you and all of your emotions and experiences attuned to by another person and by your own self. Or the idea that your brain and body might be able to find greater, greater bearableness or greater comfort in response to a genuine attunement friendly empathy from your own whole person or another whole person. Again, it's okay to pause this podcast and really take a moment to gently and fully welcome what's there about this. Okay, so this concludes the series of four episodes on befriending yourself. But this podcast will continue to talk about um, attachment, attunement, interpersonal neurobiology, um, the polyvagal theory, um, among other topics related to embodied healing and embodied relating. Feel free to suggest any topics that you'd like me to address in a podcast review. Take care, kind soul.